Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Fran Torado. The longer the dick is, the further into my digestive system it goes. That and more. But before that... I want to talk about one of my new favorite online stores, Thrive Market. I have had such a great personal experience getting my food, my my kitchen supplies, my bathroom supplies, you know, your grocery shopping at thrivemarket.com. Now, we are talking the best, the most organic, non-toxic, BPA-free, non-GMO, no artificial ingredients sorts of products at 25 to 50% off shipped right to your door. You know what else you can do? You can do price comparisons right there on Thrive Market's site to see the retail price versus what they're charging. You know, compare it to, say, Whole Foods or any place you might have to go out to go to the grocery. You know, they cut out the middleman so they can pass the savings right on to their members. I was so excited. The box came so quickly. I got myself a bunch of Laura bars and some green superfood mix that I've been making smoothies with. They had grain-free cat food for donkey. I've got all kinds of soups and soaps, all kinds of stuff in the bathroom now. You can do specific searches. For example, if you're vegan, you can curate so that you're only looking at their vegan products. So you'll get $60 of free organic grocery credits plus free shipping and a 30-day trial membership if you go to thrivemarket.com slash risk. And keep in mind, their prices are already 25 to 50% below retail. You're going to be amazed at the quality and the selection at thrivemarket.com slash risk for $60 off and free shipping and a 30-day trial membership at thrivemarket.com slash risk. Also, I want to remind you about Namely, the all-in-one HR, payroll, and benefits software that employees love to use. You can clock in, schedule vacation, and more from your desk or on the go. Plus, use the social feed to share company news and give shout-outs for a job well done. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting Namely.com risk. That's Namely.com risk. Build a better workplace with Namely. And just one more thing before we start, it's everybody's favorite song. Take it from this redhead queer. You don't have time to go to the post office. It will be packed with so many people you'll want to scream, so use stamps.com instead. You use your own computer and printer to print your U.S. postage for your letters and packages. We use stamps.com. Why don't you use stamps.com? Right now, 
get this special offer when you use my promo code RISK. It's a four-week trial, and we know that's not confusing. <gasps> Plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer for the digital scale. And free postage. Go to stamps.com before anything else. Click the mic on the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. You heard it, folks. Right now, you can use risk as the offer code for this special offer. It includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and that four-week trial. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the mic at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Ezra Collective behind me now. And hey, listen, you probably already know at the end of every Risk episode, I list everywhere we're coming next with our live show. Well, please stay tuned at the end of this particular episode because, man, we have just added a fuck ton of dates, so I'm going to give you all the information you need about our upcoming dates in Pittsburgh, Lawrence, Kansas, St. Louis, Atlanta, Tampa, Orlando, Boston, San Francisco, Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, Baltimore, D.C., Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to need a lot of story pitches from you, motherfuckers. We're going to need to hear your scariest or most hilarious or most bizarre life experiences so maybe we can put you on this show now we're calling this week's episode outlets <laughs> because that's a word and uh, it somehow <laughs> applies in one way or another to all three of the story on today's show. We've got a couple from our New York show and one from our Los Angeles show. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the fabulous Fran Tirado of the Food for Thought podcast. That's the numeral four and then T-H-O-T, Food for Thought podcast. Okay. But before Fran... We're going to hear from the amazing Amy Gordon. Holy shit, this was something else. Uh, Amy is a comedian, a, a, a singer, a clown. I mean, she is just an overall, in all sorts of ways, spectacularly talented performer. You can find her at amy-g.com. And here she is now at the last Risk Live show that we did at Caveat in New York City. It's Amy Gordon with a story we call Splash. Yes, I'm Amy Gordon. My friends call me Amy G. And I am a clown. I know I don't look like a clown. It's been a long time since I've worn the red nose and big shoes. Uh, these days I, I go for a red lip and a heel. Uh, and, and, and something, you know, sparkly and fabulous and maybe a feather or two. And, and then I take, in my performances, I generally take that fabulousness and I sort of deconstruct it. And, and, and tear it apart, little one failure at a time. And then at the end, there's a sort of vulnerable human that, that gets a win. 
But I think that's what clown really is. Clown has had a lot of, of bad PR over the past several decades. Uh, but that is really the essence and the meat of clown work. It's not balloon animals, it's failure. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been a long, long arc for me as a person and a performer getting to the, this point with this art. Uh, because I started off really, really shy. I was clinically shy. Like, that is what they called me, clinically shy. And I think if there was a clinic for such a thing, I definitely would not have gone. <laughs> because I would have been way too shy. Um, yeah, I, I was just riddled with shame. With shame, I was just really worried about... about uh, uh, well, failure, actually. Just messing up, get embarrassing myself. <laughs> I would do things to you know, assuage that fear, things like hold on to my teacher's leg at recess, because that's not embarrassing. <laughs> or I would wear Tupperware on my head as a fez and then act like a monkey, just to show people exactly how cool I was. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was teased, obviously, because that's what happens to a <laughs> try-hard control freak nerd with a dark streak and terrible social skills. <laughs> Uh, but imaginative, imaginative nonetheless. So in lieu of therapy, I, I, I would hide. I would go home and find the, the, the smallest, darkest room that I could find, or just space, any, any little womb-like chamber would do. And in that judgment-free zone, I was free to imagine the most incredible shows. I imagined songs and dances and hilarious characters and, and really funny gags and practical jokes that I would play on the next person that came in, all of which I would just never, ever do, of course, because I was way too shy, until I did. And it was about four years ago when I put my solo show on at the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It was about entertainment and shame, uniquely called entertainment. <laughs> uh, and I, in this show, I take everything that I'd ever been ashamed of, and I made a big musical song and dance comedy number about it. And it was a very interesting thing going through making this show. Obviously, I had to come up against all sorts of things, publicly and privately. But there I was, taking it uh, finally to be seen, to be really seen at the world's biggest performing arts market. And there I am at the end of the festival. It's a three-week festival, and there are a couple more shows to go. But I am terribly, terribly sick. I had gone alone, because it's a really expensive prospect to go there. And I'd just done everything by myself. And there I was, right before my show, about five minutes before my show, I've got to do all of the changing from the comic over to me into my very complicated read-try-hard show. Uh, but it's, I, I kind of have to pee. And I am looking at the clock, five minutes, I, the bathroom is upstairs, I'm wearing a heel, I am also wearing about seven layers of costumes, just stacked one on top of the other, and gags stuffed into every little nook and cranny, and then a microphone and some wires and some taping, and it is going to take me about ten minutes to go pee, you know, more if the acoustics are good. Uh, but I, I think I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just, I'm, I, I can handle it. I'm an adult. I'm totally in control of this moment. So I'll just hang in there. I, little did I know that the comic before me was going to go 20 minutes over that night. Yeah. I, I will never forget the look on his smug, ugly face as he passed me in the wings. He was talking to his manager and he said, I don't know what was up with me tonight. I was just really fucking on a roll or something. <laughs> He did not apologize, but he, he did give me this story. So, thank you. Um, so, I, there, there is one moment in my show where I'm off stage, and it's about halfway through my show, and it's a quick change at the best of times. I am ripping off a feather dress and a wet leotard, and I'm briefly naked, and in that moment, I turn to the tiny little Scottish woman that is there to help me with the change, and I sort of scream whisper at her, <laughs> say, I need a bucket! Um, my kingdom for a pot to piss in I should you not I actually said those words because I am actually still a nerd even under stress so she, I'm putting on a grass skirt and a puppet bra that's a skull that's attached to my toes that sings with me on the next number and, I, and, and she says what? And I'm like, hear my music cue, and I'm like, never mind, I'm fine. And then I dance back onto stage. And I actually am fine in this moment because 
if there are performers out there, you know that there is a phenomenon called Dr. Footlights. And as soon as you are on stage, Dr. Footlights, which is this curative balm, it's sort of a mix of, of uh, laughter and attention and good lighting that just takes care of any discomfort or pain that a performer might have. So you just don't feel anything once you're on stage. And that got me through at least an hour of my show. And actually, it got me more than through it. I was killing that night. It was so much fun. It was the end of the festival. It had good reviews. So this big theater that I had... Uh, I never should have gotten such a big theater, but I was finally getting at least close to full, and there and there were critics in the house, and it was an, actually a minor miracle that it was still going well when I knew that there were critics in the house, because yes, I do still have judgment issues. So it was all going incredibly well. Even my landlord for the, for the whole Edinburgh run was up in the house somewhere, and I wanted desperately to impress that guy, because he had a beautiful house that he could offer me next year for free if he liked my show well enough. So I was thrilled that things were going as well as they were going. Uh, and I, we got to the last act of the show, and now my last act in this show is my oldest, most familiar, most like, sort of solidly killing act. And uh, crossing that preliminary finish line, the, the relief of that just went straight to my bladder. And the lights changed, and I realized that I, this just might not work out so well. But of course I pulled it together and it was, I've got this, I've got five minutes left, of course I've got this, no big deal. I go into the next section of the show and this is where I deal with my American shame. And if you've ever traveled abroad, you know what this American shame is. It's that terrible feeling of like, oh, I'm American, I'm sorry, kind of wishing you were Canadian, but you know, our foreign policies on the, on the, on the, also just our terrible reputation on the world stage. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not what it was. <laughs> so, so that feeling, but then also balanced with genuine Obama-era optimism. Do you remember that? <laughs> I know, it's hard to go back that far. It, so much has happened. <laughs> but um, at the time, I was still untraumatized by 2016. Um, so, it, I, it, it's, and it's awkward, this thing about shame and pride, because I, you know, I have all this American shame, but then you want to you feel proud in general, you know, pride is a, is a good thing, but then also like nationalism and that nationalistic pride I feel weird about and also weirdly shameful about. So it's just balancing these things in this show about shame. But the way that I do that is that I play America the Beautiful in three-part harmony uh, from three different kazoos from three different orifices. Uh, <laughs> I'll let that settle in. <laughs> It is a killer act. It works every time. <laughs> and, but it really, it's all in the delivery. It's all, it's, uh, everything is always in the delivery, but it's really in the preparation. And I take great pains every step of the way. And as I am very daintily removing my pink panties from underneath my quite polite cocktail dress, um, my body takes that standard physical cue to say, oh, this is a good time to start peeing. <laughs> So I feel the splash on the back of my legs and uh, immediately tighten everything up. And l listen, I am in a follow spot that is covering me head to toe and there is blackness everywhere else around me. This is a very narrow attention. The focus is just on me and there's just no way that anything is going to distract the audience. Now, I don't think that they saw that because it did happen behind me and I tighten up pretty quick. And uh, <laughs> after years, it's, you know, it's been about 18 years doing this act. My Kegels are pretty good. <laughs> so... I am, uh, I am just going to tighten everything up and stem the flow. So at this point, my, my consciousness stratifies. And on top, I'm just letting all these American jokes just rip. And they're doing great. And it's all fine up and dandy up here. But then below, I am just squeezing everything in my body, everything together. My knees, my thighs, my ass, my keels, my dignity, what shreds of it I have left. And I am just terrified that this is actually happening. I can't believe this is not me. This is my, my control freak self is just absolutely rebelling against the reality of this moment. This is not the way this show, any show, this is not show, this is not the show. 
So I, I normally take a uh, sort of composed walk upstage at one point in the show. And at that time, I, t- I take a bolt, a running, running bolt upstage. And I realize, oh, it's better if I'm moving. Definitely better if I'm moving. I can do something. And so I start the dance. I start the dance that is much like what any, any second grade teacher will tell you. They know this dance. There's some padding of something. And then, and then I actually just grab my crotch. I just grab it because there's nothing else that can be done if you've ever been in this situation. And I know every single one of you has been in this situation. You grab your, I grab my crotch and I'm squeezing as hard as possible while doing the dance. But I know it's not working. And I realize if I stand still for any amount of time, there is a puddle of my own piss growing around my feet. So I keep moving and it's still not working. My jokes are still coming out. I'm still talking about America. And then I do the only thing, the only thing, it was a brainstem activity what happened next. I have no, I had zero control, clearly, of the situation. I just bolted for the darkness. And I ran to the darkness. And in that moment where I felt the cool, unwatched gaze, that comfort of being completely not looked at. And I felt like I did in the hall closet when I was 10 and was so good until the follow spot found me. (laughs) The audience, of course, like you, reacted to that standard clown trope with a roar of laughter. Of course they laughed. It was funny. They, of course, they laughed. They laughed hilariously, and I realized in that moment it was completely irrelevant for me to stop peeing. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing is what I wanted them to do, and they were laughing at me peeing, so I might as well pee. I had plenty of it to give, so I gave it. I was gonna get away with this. I gave it, and it was so good. I had the most epic pee right there on the stage. It was amazing. It was one of those pieces. You can't believe it's still going. Oh my God. Am I still peeing? <laughs> Weird. And then it was, this is not a dribble, okay? This, is, this was a waterfall, a cascade coming from my no longer polite cocktail dress. And God, I am still peeing. What do you know? I did drink buckets and buckets of water and tea that day and it was all just right in there. My body had had enough of, of supplementing that discomfort and I let it rip and I had the most incredible pegasm. <laughs> and as I finished my monologue and the audience's laughter subsided, I padded over to the microphone stand and I witnessed the wet footprints that got me there. <laughs> I picked up the microphone stand and traced them back, those wet little footprints, and I put the mic stand right in the middle to obscure at least part of that terrible reflecting pool. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when I was a young woman studying clown, they, they taught me to love the flop. They taught me to live most fully in that moment when you are failing your hardest. And for an overachiever control freak weirdo like me, that was always really hard to grasp. How would a person do that? And I don't think I got it until 20 years later when it happened to me on stage in such an inescapable way. How little appreciable difference there is between shame and entertainment once you take it out of the darkness and you bring it into the light. Thank you so much. I'm ha ha the clown. I'm a clown of great renown. If it would get a laugh, I'd climb a tree. You may like my silly clothes, my fuzzy head, my turned up nose, but it's the feather in my hat that tickles me. (laughs) 
So in the short amount of time I've been here in New York, I am super lucky to have accumulated what is a very loving, supportive, vibrant community of friends who also happen to be excruciatingly, unsettlingly hot. Like, I don't know what it is about me that like attracts like people that are like, fitness instructors and like beauty brand reps and like people who are repped by like IMG and Wilhelmina and like, you know, I love it. Like I'm not complaining. Like I love that all of my friends have modeling contracts. Like it's not bad for my psyche at all. Um, but I have this one friend, let's call him Brian, who has been with me through thick and thin, right? He takes my late night phone calls. Like we've been long distance friends for a really long time. Like he's the kind of ride or die friend that I have. And he also happens to be a personal trainer at Equinox. I know, uh, oh my gosh, that like collective sigh was just, mm. um, but uh, to, to kind of put it in context, like he's like the silhouette of like a G.I. Joe doll. Like he has like, he has these like shirtless like bathroom selfies where like he has his like pecs facing forward and they're like splayed out like rotisserie chickens. And then like he's got like his waist like tilted sideways so like his, his eight pack like disappears in this inverted triangle like a horizon line. And then um, he's got like these like massive thighs um, and they're like, they're like so big that I feel like he could take me between them and just like crush my body like 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 a pepsi can um but that aside i've never really i've never thought about him like in that way you know like i feel like I, not romantically, you know, like a, he to, to me, he's like, you know, he's like a New York eight, but he lives in Chicago. So he's like Chicago 9.5. Um, I'm more like a Chicago six, New York seven, LA two. Um, so I, I'm kind of thinking like we're different species. Um, and I never thought about, about him that way, but it was, you know, day after Christmas and uh, I was home visiting and we had made plans to see each other. And there was something about the way he invited me over at like 11 p.m. at night um, that I got a little bit excited about because like, I don't know, I can't see like how gay this audience is, but like in the, in the gay community, like 11 p.m. is like the thotting hour. Like it's like when you invite over a guy solely for the, the purpose of a dick appointment, you know? Um, and so um, I got my hopes up a little bit. Um, and I was in the Uber with like a bottle of wine um, and thinking like maybe something would happen during our like Netflix and chilling that we were planning on doing. And he texts me as I'm almost there and he's like, oh, like all my friends are out having a kiki and like I really wanna hang out with them and like join them, that'd be fun. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, and I'm like trying to be excited about it, but I'm thinking I'm gonna shut this down. And I walk in and he's like already getting ready and like pulling his shirt over his like tattooed body. And I'm like, yeah, let's go, it'll be fun. Uh, um, I don't think to ask like which group of friends we're gonna go hang out with in my head. I'm like, we're gonna go with like his gaggle of gay friends and they're all gonna be wearing tank tops even though it's the middle of winter and we're gonna hit the bar strip. Um, but it wasn't until I opened the door of this apartment that we were going to that I realized that we were there with six other blonde straight girls all of them wearing elf hats, like Santa elf hats with like the ear attachments, and all of them shit-faced, like <laughs> obliterated. Like, I, and like we walk in and they're like, Brian, and they're like, Kayla, and like, I, I don't know, they're, I, in my head they're like all named Kayla. I have no, <laughs> I have no differentiating details to tell you. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, like what? Where am I? What is happening? Um, he goes off in the balcony to smoke a bowl. I don't smoke, so I'm looking for any trace of alcohol in this vicinity. And I look at the nearest Kayla next to me, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, where is, is the alcohol? And then I'm realizing that what is the beginning of our night is the end of their night. So there is no alcohol in sight. And she looks at me and she goes, well, we have Fireball. And I'm like, you kidding me? And I know like, like Fireball is like the liquor to like drink in uh, Chicago, but it's like cinnamon whiskey and it's disgusting. And I'm like, this is gross. I'm alone. I'm in a room with like a bunch of straight blonde girls that I don't want to be with right now. So like I have no choice but to drink six shots of Fireball in a row. 
I pound the Mac. I have no idea how long I am like in this space. It was kind of just like, I don't remember how, how much time passed, but I kind of pull some like Game of Thronesian interweaving plot manipulation to like get us out of there. Like I like convinced one Kayla that another Kayla was like too drunk and needed to go home and they were like, oh no. And so like, <laughs> so, <laughs> With, within that time, I kind of like, we finagled our way out of there and we're finally, finally on our way home. And I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, it was a road bump, but like maybe we can make our way home and I can like see if like something's gonna happen between us and it'll be fun. Um, and we get in the cab and he's like, I'm not tired, let's go out, let's go to Sidetrack. And like, that's really how he talks. Um, and I don't know if any of you have ever been to Chicago, but like Sidetrack is like the gay slut mecca of Chicago. Like it is like the place to go when you wanna get chip faced and you wanna like, you know, kind of have some sexy time. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's not gonna be horrible. Like we'll go, we'll get a few whiskey gingers, we'll get sloshed up and then maybe I can like, uh, sway his perception of me a little bit, or maybe he won't see me as clearly, or I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> so we walk into Sidetrack, because I've been convinced to go to Sidetrack, and we f I find out that it is a thing that they refer to as Musical Mondays. And on Musical Mondays, they only play Hairspray and Wicked and whatever other musical they want to listen to projected on all of the screens and then they only play musicals and everyone sings along. And I'm not like one of those like fun gays. Like, I'm not like the kind of gay that like loves musicals and karaoke. So like, I, this is like my personal hell. And, and, and I'm going to get a whiskey ginger thinking that like my prior plan was to like have sex tonight, but now my libido is so low, I feel like my penis has retracted into my body. Like I do not want to be here. And we spend, I, I don't know if we were in there for a half hour or if we were in there for like three hours. I don't know, it was like gay Narnia, like a fucking gay inception, just like time warped and I have no idea how long we were there. He's one of those gays that like makes friends with the gays next to him. So like, I'm truly being put through it, the trials and tribulations of this evening. <laughs> finally, I think it was like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. and we're going home. We're finally going home, I'm like, okay, like, I didn't get any vibes from him tonight. We didn't flirt. We didn't like touch each other or anything. I was like, okay, you know, it's not gonna happen for me tonight. It's totally okay, it's not gonna happen. And we step outside, I hail the Uber, and like, I'm full of fireball. He's full of whiskey ginger, he's stoned, and he looks up at me and like, we, there was this moment, he looks up at me and he says something to the effect of like, you think I'm cute, don't you? And I was like, like my, I wasn't actually like that. My brain was like, uh. And I personally was like, trying to be chill about it. And because I'm like a normal human being that's really good at reciprocating flirting um, in any capacity, I look at him and I go, you wish, bitch. Uh, <laughs> that's me in a nutshell. And because he's been my best friend for so long and because he knows me so well, we immediately started making out because <laughs> He knew that that was just kind of the communicative level that I was at. So we started making out, it gets really hot. Like honestly, I'm sure to like a passerby, it looked like it was my very first kiss ever. Cause we're just like fucking dementors. Um, so we, we get in the cab and um, I have uh, what can only be referred to as an erection. Uh, and I'm thinking like, okay, we're going to, we're going to have sex. Like this is actually happening. I'm like freaking out a little bit on the inside, but like I'm excited. I'm also really drunk. So like, it's, you know, it's fine. Um, and on our way there, he looks at me, he, we stop making out and he says, I want Taco Bell. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> you want Taco Bell? And again, I don't know how gay the audience is, but in the gay community, Taco Bell is the kiss of death as it pertains to butt stuff, okay? Like. I know it's funny now, but at the time it was not funny. When Taco Bell goes inside of me, 
nothing else is. <laughs> if there's any other way I can put it. And so I say, are you sure? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I want Taco Bell. And I was like, I'm trying to weasel out of this. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not really hungry. Like, I don't know if you really, and then he gets all daddy dumb top on me and he goes, change the Oprah location to Taco Bell. And I'm like, okay. And I just like change it really. And so now we're en route to Taco Bell. He orders $25 worth of Taco Bell, which if you've ever been to Taco Bell is really difficult to do, okay? Like everything is like 75 cents. Like, and we're getting cheesy gordita crunches. We're getting like chorizo burritos. We're getting like, I don't even remember what the fuck we're getting. I do remember that we got those little fucking Cinnabons. Um, and we walk out and proceed to hork down $25 worth of Taco Bell. So this, you know, in, in the grand scheme of the, the trials and tribulations that I've gone through this evening, this truly is the end of the line. Like, there is, th th there, this has crushed every romantic hope that I had the two of us would share. And you know what, it's fine, because the Taco Bell was actually really good. Um, and I was like, you know, he's my best friend. I don't need to think about him that way. You know, you were, you were getting busy in your head. You don't, it's fine. So we're getting, we're back at his apartment, getting ready for bed. I um, am thinking like, okay, you know, don't be too crushed. I'm trying not to get too in my head about it. And I like start to, I don't have any pajamas with me because I'm just like planning to sleep out at his house. And I start to get in bed and I turn around and he is completely naked, like head to toe naked. And not just that, but he has the longest dick I've ever seen in my <laughs> human life and, and, and again don't know how gay the audience is but like quick biology lesson the longer the dick is the further into my digestive system it goes so there's so many ways wherein now the whole evening has brought me to this moment that I have worked so hard for and all of a sudden I am like, my, every fire signal is going off in my brain and my brain is like, you cannot have sex tonight or you are gonna shit on your best friend's dick. Like, and so I am thinking like, how am I gonna get out of this one? And he looks at me and he goes, I sleep naked. And I'm like, okay. And um, again, shit face, don't really remember what happened, but my clothes magicked off. Um, it was like, I dream of genie, like, close off um, and uh, and then we started fooling around and um, the foreplay lasted quite a while like we're 69ing a little bit and like that's really difficult because he was really short and I was really tall so I was kind of proud of myself um, there's a moment where like I had my like legs slung over his shoulders like we're grinding we're making out we're doing all this stuff completely naked and shit faced and full of $25 worth of Taco Bell and I'm hoping that maybe he will just lose stamina and fall asleep. That is like my biggest hope at this point. But there was a moment where like, he like pins me against, oh no, no, actually, he, I don't think he had me pinned against a wall. I think I was like upside down over the edge of the bed. And I was like so turned on that I look at like my best friend of five years and I look at him and I was like, fuck my brains out. Okay, like we're just doing, we're just gonna do this. And you know what? He did. He truly did. And it was like, some of the best sex I've ever had, but the whole time I'm thinking, oh my God, 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 like, did I, did I shit on him? Did I shit on him? I'm like, I'm like, did I shit on him? I'm like, not sure what is going on down there, but we have like a almost simultaneous like orgasm, which is like, you know, I'm like proud of myself. We like almost did it. And we finish and he pulls out and I look at the condom and it is, Clean as a whistle, mama! Clean as a fucking whistle. You can eat off that. Ah, uh, I feel so good. And so I, he immediately falls asleep. Just like, immediately hits the bed, starts snoring. I am wondering if like, I should be studied by scientists. Because this has been such a biological feat of humanity that I should be studied. He falls immediately asleep. I'm in bed like, like, what just happened? And like vibrating. And you know, 
the lesson here today <laughs> is, you know, in, in, in the gay community, it's actually really, it's really common to like sleep with your friends. You know, sometimes you need to sleep with your friends to find out that you should just stay friends. And in this case, I found out that I should just stay friends with him, but also fuck occasionally. Um, but I will not be eating Taco Bell again whilst having sex because I don't want to make the magic happen twice, you know? Um, thank you, everyone. This is Risk. This is Naila Blackman behind me now, and we just heard from Fran Tirado. You can find you can find you can find Fran on Twitter at Fran Squishco. And don't forget to look up the Food for Thought podcast while you're at it. And before that, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor Jeff Barr. Now I want to let you know that support for today's show comes from American Addiction Centers. You know, many people have shared on the show before about the fact that sometimes it's hard to ask for help. Addiction is a nationwide problem that can affect absolutely anyone. And there's no easy fix. Recovery isn't necessarily one size fits all. AAC is revolutionizing the addiction treatment industry with holistic, evidence-based treatment practices. They offer innovative technology to ensure safety throughout detox and treatment, specializing in treating dual diagnoses or co-occurring mental health issues and addiction. They work hard to make sure individual needs are met, empowering individuals in their lifelong recovery journey in a comfortable home-like setting. AAC even offers in-house genetic testing so you can find out if you're prone to any kind of prescription drug sensitivity or interactions. That's especially important in the midst of the current opioid epidemic. If you struggle with drugs or alcohol, or maybe you're not even sure whether or not you have a problem, call American Addiction Centers at 888-489-5018. They're available 24-7. Your life is worth more than your addiction. Don't wait until it's too late. Also, we want to recommend another podcast starring the gay best friend you wish you had and know you need. We're talking about Straight Talk with Ross Matthews. It's a pop culture and lifestyle podcast that'll have you rolling on the floor with laughter. Ross, his co-host, and his celebrity guests from all across the entertainment industry make sure not to take themselves too seriously. And they're doubly sure to help listeners with advice through guidance, direction, or a good old slap in the face. No topics off limits or too taboo it's nothing but straight talk with ross matthews our final story on this week's episode comes to us from sarah faith alderman she told this one at our show that we do once a month at the bootleg theater in los angeles i have to tell you i'm not going to spoil the story of course i'll talk more about it at the end but she mentions a book that was important to her when she was a kid about a cat and I happened to grow up with that damn book, too. It was also a big part of my childhood. So I was absolutely floored when I heard this story. You can find Sarah at sarahfaithalterman.com. That's S-A-R-A. And here she is now at the Bootleg Theater, live in Los Angeles, with a story we call Pussy Control.
guys. Okay. So sometimes you see sides of people that you're not quite ready to see. Like dick pics, for example. (laughs) Do you guys know what a dick pic is? (laughs) It's like a picture of a penis that someone sends to you sometimes from out of nowhere. Um, I have gotten a lot of dick pics in my life. Um, I've even gotten them in the mail. Like like physical analog (laughs) artifacts of the penis. (laughs) The first time I get a dick pic in the mail, I am 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, I got home from middle school and my mom handed me a yellow envelope and I thought it was a birthday party invitation. So I open it up and it is a Polaroid picture of a flaccid, hairless penis. And I had never seen a penis before at this part of my life, but even I could tell that this one was sad and weird. (laughs) And the picture was taken in profile so I could just see like, it was like curved over like the top of a candy can. It was like flopping over some sweatpants. Um, and I couldn't see the face of the person that had sent it, but um, they did leave me some clues. In the background of the photo, um, there was a Batman poster and there was a sweatshirt with my middle school's logo on it. So I was able to narrow it down to some classmates. <laughs> The second time I get a dick pic in the mail, I am 35 years old, and it is a black and white printout of what is probably the results of a Google image search for thick, dripping dick. (laughs) Whatever you're picturing, that's what it looked like. Um, And unlike the first anonymous dick pic that I got, this time I know exactly who it's from. It's from my dad. I know. It's not going where you think it's going. My dad, Ira Alterman, is a mild-mannered New England Jew who looks like the love child of, like, Jeff Goldblum and Mandy Patinkin. But, like, Homeland Mandy Patinkin, he had the beard. Um, He is obsessed with... Can you see him now? Just like you saw the dick? It's right here. He's obsessed with etiquette. Um, He's allergic to difficult conversation. We were not allowed to talk about sex in my house. We were not allowed to swear. And my dad counted butt and fart as swears. So it was, like, pretty limited what we could say around the house. Um, He was determined to protect us from what he called the pervs of the world. And so my brother and I were only allowed to watch age-appropriate movies and TV. But... I knew that there was more interesting stuff out there because I had friends whose parents had subscriptions to Playboy and late night cable and I'd seen some like sexy stuff in my life and so um, I was determined to find out the sexy stuff that my parents were hiding. So anytime they left the house, I would just go like looking through all their stuff, (laughs) just like desperate to find anything that I could that was more interesting than like Anne of Green Gables. And so in middle school, right around the time that I got that dick pic in the mail, I decide that I am going to go through the living room, which we called the duck room because it was covered in ducks. We had wallpaper with ducks on it. We had a duck-shaped phone, paintings with ducks. It was just like the whole, they went for it. They went for the duck thing. And so I climbed the built-in bookshelf in our living room, and I find at the top, crammed at the side, a collection of paperback books. And I'm like, this is it. This is the good stuff. And I pull them out, and the first one has an orange cartoon cat on the cover, and it is called Games You Can Play With Your Pussy. And me being in middle school and kind of innocent, I thought, oh, cool, this must be like Garfield, a collection of comic strips. So I open it up, and it is not. It is um, a chapter book that's got cartoons in it still, but chapters called things like how to feed your pussy and how to clean your pussy and how to take care of a sick pussy. And I could tell that it wasn't really about cats and there was some kind of subtext, but I didn't really understand what it was. Um, And so I put that down and I turned to the next um, books, which are a series of books. They're all starring this woman named Bridget. And there are photographs of Bridget and she's wearing like lacy lingerie in all of them. And so I take one book, it's called Bridget's Sex Fantasies. And I open it up and it's a collection of short stories and Bridget's in all kinds of like scenarios, right? (laughs) In one of them, she is tied up by her landlord and tickled. And seems like she's having like a really fun time. In another one, she's on an elevator and a man comes in and sticks his hand up her dress while she's screaming. That didn't seem like a lot of fun to me. Um, And then in another one, Bridget um, goes for a job interview at a lollipop factory. (laughs) And the guy who's hiring for the job wants her to get down on her knees and show him how good she is at sucking. (laughs) 
And I didn't get it. <laughs> so I remember being like, why is that relevant? She's there for like a secretary job. Like, why does she need to show how good she is at sucking lollipops? It doesn't make any sense. But she does it. Bridget gets down on her knees and she takes his member into her mouth and she starts sucking and pretty soon stuff comes out of it that tastes like candy. And I didn't know anything about sex at this point, but I was like starting to learn a lot about sex. And it felt really good. It felt really good to be reading these books. And like pretty soon I was turned on. And I was sort of like grinding and writhing against a throw pillow that said, life is all it's quacked up to be. (laughs) So stupid, but so horny. Um, And so I'm grinding against this pillow and it feels amazing. And then I hear my parents come home and I'm like, shit, I got to put these books away. So I like climb back up the bookshelf and I go to shove them in. And I make a discovery which is that underneath games you can play with your pussy, it says, by Ira Alterman, my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it turns out my father was trying to protect me from the pervs of the world because he was one of them. He had a career in the 1970s and 80s writing dozens of volumes of jokey pornography. And I started to make the association between sex and my father, which is not a healthy one. Um, But these books are how I learned about sex. And I never, ever told him that I knew about them. I did go back and read them, like, again and again and again. And I did think about them a lot. And they kind of became my sexual instruction manuals. I thought about the books the first time I gave a blowjob. And I made the very disappointing discovery that what comes out of a member does not taste like candy. It's like a missed opportunity for anatomy, I feel. Um, I thought about the books when I lost my virginity. I thought about the books that day when I stood in the kitchen holding that black and white dick pic from my father with a note that said, um, call me, I have a proposition for you. No one wants to read that from your dad on a picture of a dick. So I call him and he says, great news, games you can play with your pussy is number one. And I had not still told him that I knew about these books, so I kind of had to pretend like I didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, oh, I wrote these books. I wrote a book called Games You Can Play With Your Pussy. There's a website called Board Panda, and they just published a website of the worst book titles of all time, and Games You Can Play With Your Pussy is number one. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) And my dad goes on to tell me that this has inspired him to revive his dirty book writing career. He's going to quit his job. He's going to start writing these books again. He wants me to help him write these books. And he sent me that picture as an example of the types of photography that he thinks could be a really good asset in addition to these books. And I was confused because this is a side of my father that I knew existed, but he had never shown to me before. Like, I just knew the dad who, you know, couldn't handle talking about sex, couldn't handle the word fart. Like, he just was so prudish and conservative that to have him on the phone with me talking about dicks and pussies and stuff was just it seemed like something was off so not long after that my father was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease and uh, his doctor told us that you know dad couldn't work anymore he couldn't drive anymore and uh, he was probably going to start saying and doing some really inappropriate things um, and that we shouldn't take it too personally because it's just a hallmark of the disease so I spent the next year fielding um, explicit sexual material from my father (laughs) was very difficult. He would send me emails with more images of dicks and thickness and drippiness and all the gross stuff um, that he thought maybe would be good for usage in one of his books. Um, He would send me manuscripts that he wanted me to edit and market somehow. Um, And I, you know, Alzheimer's kind of strips you of social graces and, and filters. And so I was just seeing all sides of my father all the time. And it was really intense and it was really, really difficult. But soon my dad started to forget about the books and he kind of started to forget about a lot of other things. Like he would forget where he was and ultimately that's what killed him. He had uh, gallbladder surgery, which is pretty minor, um, but it does involve putting a catheter in um, and he would wake up and see that he had a catheter in him and not know what was going on. He'd be confused and he'd rip it out. And this happened again and again and again And eventually he contracted a staph infection, a very treatable one, but you had to treat it with IVs of antibiotics and the same thing would happen. He would wake up confused, he would see tubes coming out of his body, he would rip them out. 
And he died. <laughs> the last thing he said to me was, you're so beautiful. And then he died the next day. And it was really, it was heartbreaking. It was devastating. I loved him so much. Um, but after he died, I kind of thought that the books would die too. And it turns out that the internet is very much keeping them alive <laughs> because there are viral lists on things like BuzzFeed or whatever um, that always include games you can play with your pussy as like a terrible book from the 70s and this ridiculous. Um, there's an Instagram hashtag of games you can play with your pussy <laughs> that's um, people making fun of the book. It's kind of awesome. I have nothing to do with it, but I found it and was like really delighted. Um, and then on top of that, I inherited the copyrights to these books. And I also inherited like a big stack of them. Um, and so I keep them in my house um, on the top shelf of my bookcase, <laughs> hiding them from my son. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. Um, but I keep them up there because I'm not quite ready for my kid to see them and to learn about lollipops and pussies and all the other things that those things can mean. Um, but the difference between myself and my father is that I do intend to take those books down someday um, and show them to my son so that I can introduce him to all the sides of his grandfather so that he can get to know and love them the way that I eventually did. Thanks, guys. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Ruby Boots behind me now. And we just heard from Sarah Faith Alterman. The story is that I grew up with that book, too, because my grandma, for some reason, my grandma, Allison, she never had reading material for us kids when we came over to visit. She had two books. Uh, they were both given to her by my uncle, J.C., who was a Roman Catholic Priest. The two books were uh, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein and Games You Can Play With Your Pussy by Ira Alterman. And, and now, my uncle definitely knew that that was a dirty book. My grandma, I guess she knew. It's weird that he gave it to her. I don't know. But I think she just assumed the kids would not get that this was a dirty book. But I definitely knew that that was fucked up, that the jokes were double entendres and everything. It was very, very peculiar. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm looking online on Etsy right now and seeing that there's cat lovers. There's To this day, there's little old lady cat lovers who are loving how adorable this book is, and they don't seem to get it, so who knows? Now, speaking of books, we have the galleys now for the Risk book I, I can't tell you how spectacular the book is looking. It is so great. You are going to love it. You have to pre-order it, folks. Go to theriskbook.com, pre-order many copies, and let us know you did. And I'll announce your name in the Easter egg at the end of the show and maybe even give you a prize where each week we're giving uh, someone a special prize. Actually, we're giving several someones a special prize every week. If you email me at kevin at show.com to show me a screenshot that confirms that you pre-ordered the book. We need lots of pre-orders before July so that it uh, makes it on all the bestseller lists when it does come out. All right, I'm going to list for you 
all of the places that Risk is coming next. And we need your pitches, folks. You go to risk-show.com slash submissions in order to pitch us your stories. There's videos there. There's an audio to listen to there. There's lots of tips at risk-show.com slash submissions for how you can pitch us your stories and you might be a part of one of these upcoming shows. And here they are. On April 21st, we are back in L.A. at the Bootleg Theater. On April 21st, we are also in Pittsburgh. We're back in Pittsburgh on April 21st. On April 26th, we're back at Caveat in New York City. That's our monthly show at Caveat in New York City on April 26th. On May 17th, we are in Lawrence, Kansas. The optional themes that night are disgust, trapped, and coincidence. So pitch us people from Lawrence, Kansas, or of course, nearby Kansas City, Kansas. On May 18th, we're in St. Louis. We're back in St. Louis on May 18th. The optional themes that night are we were young, abusive, or guilty pleasure. Pitch us your stories, St. Louis folks. On May 25th, we are back in Atlanta. May 25th, we're in Atlanta. The themes are plans and schemes, love, or rebellion. So pitch us for the May 25th show in Atlanta. On June 8th, we are in Tampa, Florida. It'll be our first ever show in the state of Florida June 8th in Tampa at the attic. The optional themes that night are worst case scenario, intuition, or dreams. So pitch us for the June 8th show in Tampa, Florida. On June 9th, we are in Orlando at the Abbey. Orlando is another city that I've never been in before. That is June 9th at Orlando. The optional themes are brilliance, sacred, and corruption. So pitch us your stories, Orlando people. On July 20th, we're in Boston. Actually, it's Somerville. But July 20th, the Boston show, the optional themes are deadly, fake, or innocence. July 20, Boston. On July 27th, we are back in San Francisco at the Swedish American Hall. Optional themes, what was I thinking? Spiritual or under the influence. That's July 27th in San Francisco. August 3rd, we're back in Detroit. On August 3rd, we're back in Detroit at the Magic Bag. Optional themes, crazy, the stranger, or animal. August 3rd in Detroit. August 10th, we're back in Chicago at Lincoln Hall. Optional themes, vulnerable, mean, or cover-ups. That's August 10th in Chicago. August 11th, we're in Minneapolis. Optional themes are obsession, dirty, or metamorphosis. That's August 11th in Minneapolis. August 17th, we're in Baltimore. The optional themes that night are rabbit holes, me against nature, and pride. That's August 17th in Baltimore. August 18th, Washington, D.C. The optional themes that night are power, barbaric, and opposites. So that's August 18th in D.C. September 6th, we are back in Portland, Oregon. September 6th, we're back in Portland. The optional themes are at my worst, lies, or ecstasy. September 7th, we're in Seattle at the Vera Project. Optional themes, the worst, glorious, or breakdown. September 8th, Vancouver. Optional themes that night, spectacle, the rules, or full volume. Wow, that's a lot of information. But you know what? You can always go to our site at risk-show.com. There's the live shows page. There's the submissions page where you can pitch us. Everything you want to know is at risk-show.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
Here are some people who have pre-ordered the risk book. Here's people who have pre-ordered the risk book. Okay, there's Grace Fellian. Grace Fellian is one of the people. There is also Taylor Hemble. There is Taylor Hemble. And Giorgio Sanakis. Giorgio Sanakis. There's Joshua Coolidge. Joshua. Joshua Coolidge. Coolidge. There's Curtis Felici. Curtis Felici. There is Natalie Hendry. I said Natalie Hendry. There's uh, uh, Elena Sisana. Elena Sisana. There's C.J. Schrader. There is, of course, C.J. Schrader. Then there's Brett Richardson. And I said Brett Richardson. Jeremy Griswold is the next person that I'm mentioning. Then there's Monique Lamanero. Oh, wait, wait. Lamarino. Monique Lamarino. Monique Lamarino. There's Amanda Richardson. I am Amanda Richardson. Brianna Marshall, Brianna Marshall. There's Daniel Smith. I, of course, have to mention Daniel Smith. There's Luke Margolski, Margolski, Luke Margolski, and Brad Sure.